Let's get started by thanking our wonderful sponsors who make this show possible every week. We can't thank them enough. Macular degeneration is a leading cause of vision loss, with 15% of Americans being at risk or already affected. Scientific evidence proves that by using mesozeaxanthin, lutein, and zeaxanthin together replenishes the macular pigment and promotes healthier vision. This formula comes in only one product, MacuHealth. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe MySight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Hello and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Gell, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. Please visit the film's website at openyoureyes2020.com, featuring interviews with more than 50 optometrists from around the country, sharing information on eye care and eye disease. If you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. Also, please leave comments. Approximately 2,500 people die each day of heart disease, making cardiovascular disease still the number one cause of death in the United States. Most of us think elevated cholesterol is the leading cause of heart disease, but research shows heart disease is multifactorial or for many causes. This silent disease often takes decades to develop, allowing time with proper lifestyle adjustments to prevent catastrophic outcomes. Today's guest, board-certified cardiologist, Dr. Jack Wolfson, uses root cause lifestyle medicine to help prevent and even reverse heart disease. His philosophy, if we could find the cause, we could prevent this deadly killer. Dr. Wolfson is a best-selling author. His book, The Paleocardiologist, has been featured on numerous TV shows. Jack has been selected as a top holistic physician in Phoenix five out of the last six years. Dr. Wolfson is an international lecturer and has published many articles. Dr. Wolfson and his wife, Heather, a doctor of chiropractic, have a joint mission to rid the world of chronic disease and sickness. Please visit their website, The Doctors Wolfson, which is full of amazing health information from understanding lab tests to recommended supplements. Welcome, Dr. Wolfson, and thank you for joining me today. Dr. Gelb, a pleasure to speak with you and excited to share the best in heart health information to help everybody. And again, it's a passion of mine after working for all those years uh, you know, in the conventional cardiology practice to now be able to speak the truth and really be able to help people. It's, uh, it's a pleasure and thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate you joining me today. I have to ask you, as in the first chapter of your book, which is really an excellent book and I've outlined a lot of things in it, uh, does our liver make cholesterol to kill us? Well, you know, I, that's why we put cholesterol as king is, is chapter number one, to get everybody to understand how important cholesterol is. You know, when you ask people about cholesterol, or if you're speaking at an event, or you're even speaking as we are right now, and if you're a listener to what we're talking about, if we say the word cholesterol, what do you think? Now, most people will think uh, uh, heart attack this cheesy plaque substance inside the arteries that leads to blockages. They think stroke, they just think that it's bad. What we need to do is we need to get people to understand that 
humans make cholesterol. In fact, all animals make cholesterol. And why does an egg contain cholesterol? Because that's what a chicken needs to come to life. It can't come to life without cholesterol. So we need to explain why the liver and other parts of the body make the cholesterol. And once people understand that, now they'll understand why it's not the villain. And now they'll understand again, how to give the body what it needs, take away what it doesn't to get the best. You know, I've read places where the the function of cholesterol and secondary functions, there's almost a thousand functions in the body that cholesterol does. What are some of the most common and important functions that cholesterol does to help us? Well, I think your point is well taken. I mean, we can say every bodily function is predicated on cholesterol. In fact, cholesterol is present in every single cell. So the cell membrane, which is the fence that surrounds the cell, keeps things inside the cell that belong, keeps things out of the cell that don't belong, that is made up of a lot of cholesterol. So now when you say, well, everything that goes inside of, of uh, goes on inside of a cell, everything that goes inside of every organ and tissue, all these things that are happening, we need cholesterol to make all of that function. And again, it's about making sure we give the body all the stuff that it needs to make healthy cholesterol. And then we could talk about things like different particle numbers, particle sizes, and really the most important thing here in your blood, which total cholesterol is not one of them. In fact, it's not even something I recommend people test. So if we look at like digestion, why is cholesterol important for digestion? Well, I think, you know, fundamentally, you know, the liver does make cholesterol. It puts it into the gallbladder as, as a component of bile to help us digest our food, to digest our fats. And once we digest those things, now we can absorb them and, again, benefit from all the different uh, molecules that are inside of the food to give us our best health strategies. But if we can think about how the liver has to produce cholesterol to put it into, again, to, into our digestive juices, and then how does it even get, how do we absorb all those nutrients? Well, that relies on the barrier in the small intestine and that epithelial tissue, it's all loaded with cholesterol. So we're not gonna make anything happen without cholesterol. But again, it's just the pharmaceutical companies have really led the doctors into this kind of brainwashed um, uh, rhetoric about why we think cholesterol is bad that when we really embrace it as, again, a, an essential component of life. And how about sex hormones? Would we have sex hormones without cholesterol? No, all of the sex hormones, of course, come from cholesterol. So testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, they all come from cholesterol. DHEA comes from cholesterol. So for example, if you, if you're uh, a male uh, or a female for that matter, and maybe, you know, just, you need testosterone at different levels. But if you're a male, the testes, if you're a female, the ovaries call out to the liver and say, send down more cholesterol, more testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. And now the cholesterol takes off from the liver as a passenger inside of the LDL bus. So all these things where they say, again, the bad cholesterol, which is LDL, that's all pharmaceutical companies speak for something that is a natural process. And the LDL bus has passengers on there. One of those is cholesterol, brings it down to the testes, brings it down to the ovaries so we can make our sex hormones. 
I'm fascinated by the fact that cholesterol is involved in the immune system and that for our immune system to be healthy, we need cholesterol, especially with different types of infections and viruses that we, de that we deal with. Yeah, I mean, just as you said, there's so many different functions that are, are critical and cholesterol is essential to those functions. So the immune system, of course, is, is paramount in really all disease because if your immune system is functioning, now you can protect yourself about what's coming in from the external environment. And that can be viruses, it could be bacteria, could be parasites, uh, could be fungus, could be anything. But then also it helps to protect on what's going on on the interior of our bodies as well. And as we, we you know, get into these situations of so much autoimmune disease where the body is attacking itself, it's really not autoimmune, it's more of like an immunodysfunction where your immune system is malfunctioning. And that leads to, again, all kinds of diseases. And even still, your immune system is, is just doing what it's meant to do based on what we fuel it with. So this is kind of a long way of saying, just like you said, cholesterol is very important to immune function. In fact, we know that people with the lowest levels of LDL, for example, highest risk of immune-related illnesses, whether it's autoimmune or it's uh, complications from viruses, bacteria. You know, in fact, most people who get hospitalized is much higher risk for getting hospitalized when your cholesterol and your LDL is low. So lower is not necessarily better. And really, Dr. Kerry, what we try and do is we try and level of total cholesterol, of LDLs and HDLs for each one of us, because each one of us is different. And we are supposed to have an optimal number for us. And that's what we try and do is that when we put people on the right foods and live the right lifestyle, then we can start to dial in what our best numbers are for us, again, to get the job done. You know, I have this theory and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the re our cholesterol goes up it has all these functions so if our cholesterol is high there's a there's a root cause why it's high so if we're just lowering the cholesterol and not paying attention to the root cause we actually could become sicker because our body's making this cholesterol to try to protect us whether it's carrying different vitamins that i know with the eye uh HDL actually carries lutein and zeaxanthin, these carotenoids to, to the macula to protect the macula. But if the cholesterol is going up and we're lowering the cholesterol and not paying attention to the reason why we're lowering it, we're not taking care of the real problem why the cholesterol is elevated. Maybe it's elevated because it's trying to protect us. Yeah, uh, and that's correct. And, and obviously a couple of different things. One is it's going up because it's trying to protect us. Uh, number two, it may be just a lot of dysfunctional lipids that are out there, so the body produces more. The point, it really takes into account the, the statin pharmaceutical because there's no doubt that statins dramatically lower your numbers down, but nobody gets rewards. Nobody gets bonus points for having very low cholesterol. Maybe on your insurance or something like that, you get some kind of bonuses for that, but when it comes to real health outcomes, when you take the pharmaceutical to lower the number down, again, it lowers the number down. It doesn't meaningfully impact outcome. 
main impact heart attacks, strokes, dying of heart disease. Because again, like you said, we're not addressing the cause of why that number may be too high. And we need to do it. We give the body the foods. If we talk about the healthy lifestyle, of all these environmental toxins and pollutants, well, now we can start to find the perfect number for us. And that's what for them. We have to be able to improve on their chances of a heart attack with a pharmaceutical. So if our cholesterol is high, and before we get into the NMR and some of the labs, but we're producing these small particles and we got a lot of small particles and they could go into the, uh, into the gap junctions of the, of the arteries, cause inflammation and, and, uh, and uh, vulnerable plaque to make us at increased risk of cardiovascular disease. But the cholesterol is high and then we have inflammation that's kind of attacking the cholesterol and the cholesterol is high to try to help us. And then it's taking those particles and turning them into something that maybe is going to hurt us if we don't address the inflammation. Yeah, you know, it's, um, uh, yeah, unfortunately, most cardiologists still think that coronary artery disease is a cholesterol story, that it's a cholesterol problem. When again, cholesterol is found inside of coronary plaque because it's there to help put out the fire. It's there to help the immune system heal that area of inflammation, as you mentioned. Now, all cardiologists know that inflammation is linked to coronary artery disease, but they choose to use pharmaceuticals to lower the inflammation as opposed to what you and I are talking about. How do we get rid of the inflammation in the first place? How do we prevent the inflammation? But if we think, if we want to go back to where kind of coronary disease happens, it really happens on the lining of the blood vessels. And that lining of the blood vessels is called the endothelium. And the lining of the blood vessels, the endothelium, when that becomes dysfunctional or when that becomes unhealthy now as you said it opens up some of those barriers it opens up the barrier of the endothelium so now cells and inflammatory cells and other particles can migrate to the inside of the blood vessel and now you start getting this immune activation inflammation oxidative stress ultimately cellular death or cellular apoptosis which now leads to an unhealthy plaque that can rupture, leading to heart attack and death. So what we try and focus on is really making sure that our endothelium is as healthy as possible. The lining of the blood vessels is as healthy as possible. And if we start there, that's where we're gonna get good results. Are you a fan of the endopat? Um, I, I do like the endopat as a test to look at endothelial function. I think that it is a fantastic test for that. It gives great results, uh, but there's, there's problems with that test. Again, a lot of places don't have it, don't carry it because it's very expensive. It's labor intensive. It's also pretty uncomfortable for the person who's having the test done. So instead of that, there's other parameters we can use. Obviously you and I can talk about lab testing that we use, but there's also salivary levels of nitric oxide. That's just a very simple you know, test strip to look at nitric oxide levels. 
You can also look at other surrogate markers like heart rate variability to also uh, correlate well with endothelial health. And uh, if, even blood pressure, uh, of course, is, is a sign of endothelial health. If your blood pressure is high, your endothelium is not healthy. And then once again, we can also ask questions as far as people's circulation. Do your hands always uh, uh, feel cold? Do they, do they uh, you know, do you have difficulty again in colder weather? Do you have, of course, erectile dysfunction? And, and men would be certainly a sign of, of poor endothelial health. So I think that we don't need kind of some of these really fancy devices. We can do it with uh, with some very simple technology or even just a good old fashioned physical exam, right? Great. And we're going to get into that. I do want to ask you back with the cholesterol with vitamin D. And I want to go into the sun in a little bit, uh, how important it is. But the sun will actually lowers your vitamin D. Uh, and is it is it because that the cholesterol is you is making uh, is making vitamin D and your the, the the sun actually lowers cholesterol and makes vitamin D is it because the is it because your body is using up the cholesterol to make the vitamin D is that why the cholesterol is, is being lowered when you're making vitamin D in the skin yeah so i think i think a lot of uh, a, a lot of coronary artery disease and cholesterol issues if you will, are from a sunshine deficiency. We'll call that a sunshine deficiency syndrome. And when you when you are exposed to the sun, the UVA and UVB, specifically UVB, ultraviolet B uh, rays, which are a certain wavelength that come from the sun, that hits the cholesterol coursing through the arteries in your skin. And it turns that cholesterol into vitamin D. So again, we can see how important cholesterol is because it serves so many functions, including as a precursor to vitamin D. So when, again, when we are at higher latitudes and we, uh, or, you know, again, the farther away we are from the equator, the less sunshine we get, and therefore the higher our cholesterol levels are. And the key is we wanna get as much sun exposure as we can to therefore convert that excess cholesterol into vitamin D. And that's, that, that's one thing that's important. Now, again, that sun and the vitamin D in and of itself do so many other things that help to quiet inflammation and put our bodies in balance, which is also kind of another way to kind of regulate cholesterol levels as well, because your body is not as irritated. Your body is not inflamed as inflamed. Your body's not as damaged. So we don't need to produce a lot of cholesterol for that reason as well. Now, the breast milk is full of cholesterol. How does that, how is that important for brain function? Well, you know, once again, it's kind of like when people vilify cholesterol, like you said, or they vilify saturated fat. Uh, the, the breast milk uh, and the milk of all animals, all, all mammals who nurse their young, it's loaded with saturated fats. It's loaded with cholesterol because that is how you build a baby's brain. And it's, again, it's just, it's just, it's so common sense, the stuff we're talking about, right? But unfortunately, the, the cardiologists, they've kind of just forgot about the common sense. And it's just the way that our medical training is. Our medical training uh, is essentially, again, everybody is deficient uh, everybody is deficient in pharmaceuticals. Everybody's deficient in surgeries. It's like you as an eye doctor saying, well, you know, we have such 
poor vision around the world because everybody's deficient in glasses, you know, or people have cataracts because they're deficient in cataract surgery. It's, 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 it's just so sad how we've lost the common sense, but uh, I appreciate being on your knowledge that again, people just, uh, uh, just don't, you know, really realize uh, is, is just common sense stuff. When you do a cholesterol test and you're doing the NMR or you're fractionating the cholesterol or APOB over APOA ratio, how is that important? And what does that tell you? Well, what we know really from research back in the early 2000s is that the most important cholesterol marker or, or lipid marker is that ratio of the ApoB to ApoAs. And that is what everybody needs to have calculated. The total cholesterol is a useless test. It's full of faults. It doesn't give good information. In fact, total LDL and total HDLs, again, they just don't give an, enough information for what people truly need need to know that apolipoprotein B, which is the stitching on the LDL baseball, and they need to know their apolipoprotein A levels, which is the, the stitching on the HDL baseball, if you want to kind of equate that now to one of your favorite sports, when you want to be a center fielder for the, uh, for the New York Yankees, uh, you know, just taking that, now we're going to transition from the bus uh, analogy to the baseball analogy, and again, Everybody needs to get that ratio. Just ask your doctor for the apolipoprotein B to apolipoprotein A ratio. The lower that ratio, the longer you live. And so if you go a little bit deeper into what the apolipoprotein A, what that is and what the B is, and how is that different than NMR? Are they pretty much equivalent? So what NMR does is that it uses a, a novel technology, again, to be able to kind of break down the particle numbers and the particle sizes. And again, those are all advanced tests, what I'm talking about, or the components of the NMR. All of it is beneficial to give you a lot more information about your actual lipid numbers than just the good old fashioned total cholesterol, total LDL, total HDL. Because if you think total LDL, for example, and if you say, well, how do we fill, you know, how do we fill this bag full of LDL? And the whole bag is full of LDL, but it's made up of LDL as uh, like big kind of like gobstopper, you know, uh, looking part of, or is it full of little tiny BBs? And again, it's still the same bag and the bag is totally full, but is it full of the large buoyant fluffy LDLs, those gobstopper ones, that's beneficial, or are they full of the small little BBs, that's detrimental. So again, it just shows you that that total, you know, the bag doesn't tell us anything. What's inside the bag, uh, you know, again, you know, the, the bag is full, but it's what is the bag full of? And we want it full of the larger particles. And that's what NMR testing does. And if you do that calculation, ApoB to ApoA, if you've got relatives, well, now you can assume, or now you now you will know uh, that that your that your full your bag of LDL is of these bigger, fluffier, healthier particles again that are floating around the body as part of the immune system to deliver cholesterol 
uh, around the body where it's needed for all those different functions we talked about, digestion, uh, 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 vitamin D production, to, to sex hormone uh, formation, to you know, brain health, you name it. So we wanna, you know, in, in addition, the LDL particle has fat soluble vitamins, A, D, E, K. I know how you eye doctors really realize how important vitamin A is and the real functional vitamin A, not like beta carotene from carrots, but actual like, you know, um, you know preformed retinal uh, uh, compounds that are to the eye and those things products. So again, um, nutrition in a little bit, but again, we're trying to make sure that those passengers on that LDL bus, fat-soluble vitamins, ADEK, all the uh, antioxidants, the LDL particle is a tremendous antioxidant. Everybody knows that antioxidants are critical. They know that things like vitamin C are very important as an antioxidant and vitamin E they're familiar with. And things again, like vitamin A or alpha lipoic acid, there's a lot of antioxidants. One of the most important ones of course is LDL. And how about if you eat dietary uh, cholesterol, does that cause, is there a link between strokes and heart attacks? Uh, I mean, to me, in my world, with the nutrition that I talk about, there, there is a link, and it's what we would say is a negative link or a negative association. The more cholesterol-rich uh, foods you eat, the lower your risk of disease. And if you're someone who eats fast food, uh, drinks soda pop, and smokes cigarettes, well, you know, again, we, you know, we could probably do some studies that show that eating animal products in that kind of context is not healthy, but none of those lifestyle behaviors are healthy. To me, again, it goes back to common sense. If we eat like our ancestors did for hundreds of thousands, for millions of years, that's how we give the body everything it needs and we don't put in the stuff it doesn't. And that's how we not only live a long life, but a very healthy life as well. There's been studies on saturated fat and heart disease. What have they found? Well, I mean, again, you know, studies are only as good as the people who do them and the people who sponsor the data. But for example, there was a study that was published in the biggest nutrition journal in the world, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, where they looked at over 350,000 people and they found that saturated fat does not increase the risk of cardiovascular disease. I recently wrote a chapter in a interventional, or I'm saying an integrative cardiology textbook. So it's a medical textbook and it's all about nutrition and heart disease. And we've got a ton of information, 187 references in there that all points to the same conclusion that saturated fat is not the problem when it comes to heart disease. Cholesterol food consumption is not the problem when it comes to heart disease. Again, if it was the problem, um, uh, you know, again, there's so many animals that are out there in nature that eat a ton of other animal products. Uh, you know, I mean, to me, again, it's, it really goes back to some faulty information from the 1950s. And then now you create this information and it is supported by companies like Nabisco, Quaker Oats, Kellogg's, and they're all trying to sell us their, their different processed grain type products. And they'll call it heart healthy and the government will support it. It's, um, I guess, at, uh, you know, uh, uh, despite being at risk for being accused as a conspiracy theorist, uh, uh, again, you can, and this is well documented in multiple different books on how that all went down with the government and the corporations pushing forward this, this government food plate. 
And I guess all I could tell you about the food plate, uh, or I'm sorry, you know, now it's the plate before it was the pyramid. On the pyramid, the grain category was bigger than the vegetable category. So you just, you need to look at that and just say, wow, this could only be sponsored by, by industry. And that's of course, totally true. So let's, let's talk about statins and how protective are statins, especially let's start with primary prevention. How protective are statins? Can they bring our death rate down to zero? I mean, if we're, we're you know, we're, we have bad cholesterol, people put us on the statin, how much is that going to protect us? Yeah, so, you know, you bring up a good point, and really it's a matter of, uh, you know, again, cholesterol, you know, statin drugs, Lipitor, Crestor, Zocor, and the like, they lower numbers down tremendously. They turn off the production of cholesterol in the liver. They put an enzyme that converts product A into product B. Well, if you shut off that conversion of A to B, well now, again, if B is cholesterol, you're not gonna make a lot of it. And that's exactly what statin drugs do. But again, we don't get bonus points for having low numbers. We wanna know, does taking a pharmaceutical lower risk of cardiovascular disease? And in the case of primary prevention trials and statin drugs, they show a very, very limited benefit as far as heart attacks. But what they show, almost all of them, is that the cholesterol drug, the statin drug, doesn't save lives. That's number one. Secondary prevention trials, meaning someone's already had a heart attack or they've had bypass surgery. So now they're in a higher risk group. And in that category, the statin drugs can reduce your heart attack risk. They can help you live longer. But when, the point that I wanna make to everybody is that again, it's not about how do we reduce your risk of having a heart attack from 5% to 4% with a statin drug. We wanna reduce our risk of having a heart attack to 0%. And we know the statin drugs don't do that. The statin drugs, for example, would lower your heart attack risk from 5% to 4%. And that's according to their data. So how do we get to the 0% risk? And that's exactly what you and I are talking about, Dr. Carey. How do we get to really preventing things so we can live you know, for, you know, a hundred plus years, like the centenarians, you know, you documented, how do we live like that? You know, over the last few years in the United States, our life expectancy is now peaked and it's gone down or at very, you know, at the very latest, maybe it's kind of stabilized. We're not living longer despite all of these pharmaceuticals and all these surgeries and all these, and all these tests and all these doctors that are out there, we're not making any headway as far as longevity is concerned. And that's really what we're talking about is how do we really make people live a long life and live a healthy life? And it's not going to be in a pharmaceutical driven model. What happens with elderly people that are over 65, that are over 75, that take a statin drug? You know, there was a study that was published um, uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine from a couple years ago, uh, and that study showed, um, it was called uh, All Hat, uh, All Hat uh, LLC, and All Hat LLC showed that people who are over the age of 65 who take a statin drug, again, for primary prevention, they have a higher risk of dying than people who do not take a statin drug. If you were over 75 and you were taking a statin drug for primary prevention, 
your chances of, of, of dying over a certain time frame was 34% higher if you took a statin drug. So statin drugs for primary prevention, I think is a really, really, really bad strategy for a number of reasons. And there's a lot better way to do it. Now, interestingly, also the New England Journal of Medicine at around the same time found that the, um, the, the, the people who took aspirin for primary prevention ages 70 and older also had a higher risk of dying from, from taking aspirin for primary prevention. So all had trial was actually in JAMA, the, one of the biggest medical journals in the world. The aspirin data was in New England Journal of Medicine, one of the biggest medical journals in the world. And it's just, again, it's still not even like trickling in to the cardiology practitioner's mindset. It's, uh, it's, it's really a horrible situation because most medical doctors these days, they get their medical education from the pharmaceutical companies or from pharmaceutical company sponsored medical education you know, programs. Vision Edge gives you less eye strain and reduced damage caused by blue light. We like to call Vision Edge sunscreen for the eye. It all starts with your highest level of visual performance, only achievable through scientifically proven Vision Edge. Thank you for tuning in to the Open Your Eyes podcast. If you like the video you're watching, please hit the like button. Also, hit subscribe for weekly new episodes of the podcast, along with pod winks and bonus content. All right, let's get back to the show. I've seen where it takes 17 years for research to be used in clinical practice. That's a pretty, that's a pretty sad uh, statement. Well, you know, once again, it's, I mean, if, if it even comes to light, you know, if it even comes to fruition and stuff like that, but yeah, I mean, you know how it is. Listen, you know, I went through all that medical training and I went through all, you know, my, my 10 years after undergraduate at University of Illinois, 10 years of medical training. And again, I could fill a book of all the stories about the pharmaceutical companies and the pharmaceutical reps and all the payola that was happening. Uh, I, I think it was a lot more open certainly, uh, you know, back in the 80s and 90s than it is today. But again, it's still prevalent. And I love telling the story, you know, uh, Carrie, you'll appreciate this. In 1988, uh, my father, again, as a practicing cardiologist, he was, uh, he was on the speaker's board for Merck Pharmaceuticals. And Merck Pharmaceuticals had an event out in Hawaii. So my father was going to be a speaker at that event. So Merck Pharmaceuticals paid for my, my, my two parents, my mother and father, my brother, sister, and myself to fly out to Hawaii. My parents flew first class. The three of us were in coach. And uh, the hotel, uh, all the events, we went, uh, we went fishing and we went water skiing and uh, all the food and all the drinks, everything was all paid for. My father spoke for one hour one hour and the entire vacation was for free. That is re really, I think, sums up the problems with the pharmaceutical industry and even today, how it extends into what's happening right now in the year 2021. The PROSPER trial, I believe it was in 2002, and it, it said something about there may be an increased risk of cancer from statin, uh, from statin medications. Is that something that you may find in clinical practice? Uh, is that something that, that you think is, is probably true? Well, uh, the answer is definitely. I mean, again, because when you know the body, the body is doing things for a reason. 
And if it's making a lot of cholesterol, we need to find the reason why it's doing that. And again, that's part of the immune system. And cancer is nothing else than, than immune dysfunction. So now your immune system doesn't find these cancer cells and target them for destruction. And if your immune system, again, is not functioning optimally because we've tied one of its hands, so to speak, behind its back with a statin drug, and we're limiting the, the usefulness and the success and the utility of the immune system to fight off cancer, of course, it's going to increase cancer risk. And some studies have shown that, including, like you mentioned, uh, the PROSPER trial. And I think that's where also you can find that cholesterol drug do not save lives. Why do people die in these cholesterol studies? Well, the heart disease risk may be reduced in a lot of these studies, but if you increase the risk of cancer, it really matters that you are dying less of heart disease because you're dying more from cancer, suicides, and probably many other conditions. Now, you mentioned aspirin before. Uh, a lot of patients come on, they're in a baby aspirin. Of course, I'm concerned if they may have macular degeneration because there could be a greater risk of wet macular degeneration. That's what there's at least one of very important studies said. Is that something that, I, I just don't understand why doctors are recommending uh, aspirin as primary prevention because as you said before, the studies don't really bear it out that it really is that helpful and that the side effects could actually be worse. Yeah, you know, and again, like I pointed out the negative aspirin data in my book, which is again from 2015, and just more and more studies keep coming out. And I think the more studies that keep coming out, you'll, you'll again, the doctors will, will obviously start to take notice. Uh, why did it happen that way? Again, you know, the Bayer Corporation, the makers of aspirin used uh, faulty, misconstrued data uh, on their particular product. And again, now that led to, to you know, generations of people using aspirin. Uh, primary prevention, again, you know, people don't have heart attacks, strokes, uh, because they're deficient in aspirin. So I always think there's a better way. Uh, I'm not a fan of anyone using aspirin. Again, you and I are here you know, to qualify. We're not giving medical advice. Don't stop your pharmaceuticals, including aspirin, unless you talk to your medical doctor. But uh, you know, again, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's just unfortunate that people think that they're actually being protected from aspirin. And the other thing is too, Dr. Carey, is that people would say, well, uh, you know, I can, I can eat whatever I want. I can drink whatever I want. I can live however I want because I'm protected, right? I'm taking aspirin. I'm taking a statin drug. I'm taking these blood pressure drugs. I get an annual stress test. And again, that's just such a false sense of security that has led to literally millions of people dying, millions. Let's talk about triglycerides. How important is that as a marker for increased risk of cardiovascular disease? Yeah, again, I mean, it's a marker uh, and it's a very important marker. The higher your triglycerides, the higher your risk of cardiovascular disease, but it should not cue us into, well, what pharmaceutical you know, can I take to lower my triglycerides? It it's a us into the fat triglycerides. And that, of course, uh, are things, you know, uh, sugars, carbohydrates, alcohol, an unhealthy lifestyle, all that stuff leads to high triglycerides. Let's talk about a heart attack. What are the symptoms? What should people know if they're about to have a heart attack or they're having some symptoms that a heart attack is imminent? 
Well, that's a great point and a great point to bring out to everybody. And really, uh, I don't get asked that question too often, but it is fundamental because when, when people have abnormal symptoms, it leads to a lot of unnecessary testing. So cardiac symptoms are typically, they're, they're in the center of the chest here. For those people that remember the TV show, Sanford and Son, and uh, that was the actor, Red Fox. And he, he's always you know, telling his wife, you know, Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you. Well, this is from 1910, this is Levine's sign. And this is how cardiac discomfort typically is. It's usually a pressure in the center of the chest with or without activity. It can also go in, up into the neck or jaw. It can go into the shoulders. It can go typically you know, down the left arm. The two places cardiac pain does not go is left chest and right chest. Left chest and right chest are bone muscle rib pain. They are not cardiac in nature. So again, check with your doctor, but I'm telling you that if the pain or discomfort is on left chest or right chest, it is highly unlikely to be cardiac. Now, if somebody feels they are having an event, how about chewing an aspirin, leaving an aspirin at bed? Is that something that could protect somebody? Uh, there, there is some data that says early consumption of aspirin in the face of a heart attack is beneficial. But if you're in the midst of a heart attack and you're really not sure what's going on, well, that's why emergency rooms exist, why trauma centers exist. You know, I often kind of rail on conventional uh, cardiology and all my old uh, partners in the 40-person cardiology group uh, uh, as far as prevention, because for prevention, they've got aspirin and statins, and which is a joke. Uh, for emergencies, you go to an emergency room, and there, that's a great place to be if you're in the midst of a heart attack. But again, trying to treat yourself and all this, you know, aspirin, you know, at bedside and whatnot, uh, that's a fault because you take it, you may feel better, but in fact, you're just delaying the inevitable and you need to get checked out. Let's talk about AFib and the athletic heart. Uh, what is AFib? And uh, how can that lead to a stroke? And how about people who are, and also about marathon runners who are running 26 miles and running all the time that are getting heart damage? Well, atrial fibrillation is one of the most common abnormal heart rhythms in the world. And probably the number one reason why people either come to Arizona and see me in person or they get a virtual consultation with me, it's for atrial fibrillation because people don't like the way they feel. They don't like the pharmaceuticals when they have AFib and they certainly don't like the accompanied stroke risk from that. So when we work with people to be able to kind of lower, you know, lower the risk of atrial fibrillation, lower the drug burden, lower stroke risk, uh, we find that very important. Now, one of the things, of course, that's linked to AFib, as we've talked about previously, is inflammation. And then now to get into the athletes and marathon runners, when you, most people are athletic, they, again, they're burning up a lot of fuel. They're, you know, utilizing the food they t take in and they're burning it up as fuel. Well, if you're burning up fuel, and you leave a lot of waste products around, well, now that'll lead to inflammation. Most people who run marathons, they are eating cookies and cupcakes and candy bars and, and Gatorade. They're, they're, they're consuming unhealthy things that do not help with all this, what's called oxidative stress. So you need a lot of antioxidants to balance that. And we do so, we'll lower the risk of heart attack, stroke, and AFib. 
Interesting. Uh, so let's let's turn our attention to risk factors for cardiovascular disease. What do you feel is the major risk factors? Uh, is it sugar and grains and processed foods? Uh, wh what do you think? Well, uh, let's just say that the main risk factor is an unhealthy lifestyle. And in that, of course, is unhealthy food, unhealthy sleep, unhealthy sunshine or lack of sunshine exposure, environmental toxins and pollutants, uh, uh, mental uh, sickness, uh, you know, poor mental health. Everybody right now, they're living in a state of fear. They're living in a state of stress. And all of that just leads to, to cardiovascular disease, lack of physical activity. Everybody is kind of stuck inside of their home and they're not getting out side or they're not for walks or they're not going to the gym they're they're not living their lives and they're just sitting inside glued to technology so all these factors are all the biggest risk factors for for heart disease and as you mentioned listen uh non hunter-gatherer foods non-paleo foods sugar grain artificial foods processed foods all those things lead to cardiovascular disease. If we go back to eating like our ancestors did, and you and I kind of talked about this beforehand, the healthiest food in the world, and there is no second place, there's no dandelion greens or oatmeal or broccoli, uh, all those leafy greens are great, but nothing compares to seafood. Seafood is the healthiest food on the planet. And if all you got out of this entire conversation that you and I are having, Dr. Carrie Wright, is for the listener to eat a lot of seafood. Number one thing to prevent heart disease, and I believe eye disease as well. Let's talk about toxins, uh, how toxins could increase your risk of a cardiovascular event. If you could, uh, if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so, you know, once again, when, it, when we talk about, uh, you know, these toxins, what are these toxins everybody's talking about? Well, air pollution in, in dozens, if not hundreds of studies is, is linked to cardiovascular disease. So these environmental you know, uh, toxins such as the air pollution or even things that are going on inside of the house. You know, the, the new paint, the new, the new furniture, the new clothing, the, the, the new technology, all this stuff emits chemicals. It emits different compounds that get into the body. And now the body is confused. The body is saying, what is all this poison? What is all this garbage? And, uh, and again, it leads to sickness. So uh, we need to reduce our chemical exposure as much as we can. And that's gonna lead to the best in heart health. How about stress? How important is stress? Uh, stress is uh, very, very, very uh, you know, uh, important to be able to modify. And again, you know, most people, again, just do not pay attention to the stress in their lives. And that's why I wrote chapter five of, in my book, and it's called One Nation Under Prozac. The answer to mental health issues is not Prozac. It is addressing those mental stressors. But I want people to know that things like anxiety, stress, depression, social isolation, which is at an all-time high right now, of course, those are linked to a much, much, much higher risk of having a heart attack or stroke. So we need people to understand that it's not just about the food. It's not just, it's not about cholesterol. That's for sure. We've talked about that extensively. 
It is about all these other factors. And if we improve our mental health, we improve our physical health, that's how we become heart attack proof. About 50 million people have hypertension. Even children are starting to get hypertension. About 3% of kids are, are, are getting hypertension, about 16% are at risk of it. And uh, I had a podcast with Dr. Lustig and he talked about fructose and they lowered the fructose with allopurinol. Uh, they, they, low, they lowered the uric, causing increased uric acid, they lowered the uric acid with allopurinol and it, it normalized the blood pressure. If you could talk about blood pressure, what's going on? Why are we all getting blood pressure? I guess it's all from the same reason. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, you know, again, I'm familiar with Dr. You know, Lustig, and it's not like the allopurinol data isn't good data. It is good data. But the answer, of course, is that it, it's not allopurinol. It's a matter of why is our uric acid high? And uric acid is actually a very important antioxidant in the body, by the way. But uric acid, of course, we want to lower that down, and we want to find the perfect level for each one of us. And in doing so, if we reduce the sugar consumption, we reduce the fructose consumption, we reduce the grain consumption, then, then the uric acid starts to normalize. And that's something we wanna look, you know, you know it's, it's very important as far as uh, reducing our risk of gout, which of course is a very painful arthritic disease, but also in doing so, like you mentioned, to be able to lower blood pressure through that modality, but there's blood pressure drugs that lower blood pressure. There's allopurinol that can lower blood pressure. There's other things that can do so. But if we, you know, get sunshine, sunshine lowers blood pressure, appropriate sleep lowers blood pressure, chiropractic care. The, the chiropractic adjustment has been proven to lower blood pressure by 17 over 10. Uh, again, taking care of your, your oral health lowers blood pressure. Uh, eating the right foods, as we said, lowers blood pressure. Seafood consumption lowers blood pressure. Taking care of stress lowers blood pressure. Avoiding environmental toxins and pollutants lowers blood pressure. So many different things we can do to normalize our blood pressure without pharmaceuticals. Let's talk about the positive effects of sunshine and how it increases nitric oxide and the importance of nitric oxide. Uh, well, you know, nitric oxide, again, is, you know, we, we may be familiar with nitric oxide, uh, in the pharmaceutical nitroglycerin, you know, people are, are, are familiar with taking a nitroglycerin tablet under the tongue to help with chest pain or angina. Well, we're not deficient in nitroglycerin, which gets converted into nitric oxide. We're deficient in things that make nitric oxide. And I love that nitric oxide salivary test strip as well. So our body makes nitric oxide in a whole variety of ways. One way is through uh, green leafy vegetables, but the most the best food is with beets. Beets are nitrates, which help to make nitric oxide. The other thing is amino acids, L-arginine, citrulline, taurine, those get converted into nitric oxide. And the third thing that increases nitric oxide, sunshine. The sun hits the skin, releases those stored nitrates, get, they get converted into nitric oxide, and now it opens up our blood vessels and our blood pressure normalizes and our penile blood flow is better, our erectile function is better, everything gets better when you live the right way. What's a safe type of uh, sunscreen uh, that people could use? Uh, well, you know, again, you know, you want to, smart sun is the key, you know, so, you know, if you're up on the East Coast, and I grew up in Chicago, we went down to South Florida for spring break, and we got burnt. That was bad, sunburn bad, sunshine good. 
if you're going to be out in the sun for a prolonged period of time, and again, maybe, you know, you and I that are like, you know, follicularly challenged, we wear a baseball hat or something like that. We can wear a cover up and stuff like that. But um, uh, if we're going to use a sunscreen, just make sure it's an organic sunscreen where, you know, again, it's, it's, you know, zinc oxide is the active ingredient and then it comes in organic jojoba oil or organic grapeseed oil, natural products, not, not poison that we're putting onto our skin that gets into our bodies. Like that glitter full of aluminum, right? One, one thing I exactly. know when I, when I did the movie is that the centenarians, they would be out in the sun all day. And, uh, you know, we've always been told by the dermatologists that this, that the sun is, is going to cause cancer is going to kill us. And meanwhile, these people are 100 years old, and they're sitting in the sun all, all day, they have a, they built up a solar callus. Yeah, you know, it's just, I mean, all it's, it's just so simplistic when people think about it, right? It's like, um, everything out in the world is outside in the sun, all plants are outside in the sun, all animals are outside in the sun, all life is outside, we're the only ones that are stuck inside. And we're the ones that suffer all the sickness, our animals that are kept inside all day, us as humans that are kept inside all day. That's where the sickness is. The dermatologists, again, unless you're paying attention to some of them who get it, uh, Dr. Michael Holick, for example, Harvard trained uh, dermatologist writes extensively on the power of the sun to maintain in health and wellness. And it's totally true, totally true. Well, nitric oxide causes the causes vasodilation and is protective. And you mentioned some of the foods that increase nitric oxide along with the sun. How about dark chocolate? Uh, it's dark, it's, uh, you know, dark chocolate. So how's dark, dark chocolate how feel about that? I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, I mean, for, you know, dark chocolate is a tremendous antioxidant. Coffee can be a tremendous antioxidant. Again, when you do things organically, those are very high in antioxidants, which again, help to combat all that what's called oxidative stress. And what we want to do is again, you know, do, you know, use organic varieties, uh, chocolate and, and, and coffee for that matter, but specifically chocolate or raw cacao, which is the seed that makes up, you know, that, that eventually gets converted into chocolate once you start adding in things like sugar and milk and other, and other products to, to, to change it. But it's that raw cacao that is loaded with antioxidants, loaded with minerals, loaded with magnesium, loaded with fiber, and it is definitely one of nature's superfoods. I love consuming raw cacao. Pomegranate, walnuts, uh, arugula, watermelon, all these things increase uh, nitric oxide. Yes, watermelon, specifically the one rind. The watermelon rind is, is loaded in L-citrulline, which again is that amino acid that helps to build nitric oxide. So I don't know how many people want to eat watermelon rind, but actually if you find heirloom variety of watermelons, or if you were to grow a watermelon in your yard, typically there'll be that a different variety than what you get at a grocery store. So first of all, of course, it has to be organic. But second of all, if you find kind of one of these heirloom variety watermelons, the, the green or the rind is actually very thin and it's all edible. So I try and eat as much watermelon rind as I can uh, when in season, and actually, I would prefer that for the health benefits as opposed to the red, fleshy, sweetened inside. And we could get CoQ10, which could be helpful also from from uh, from no animal food, especially organs. Well, I mean, listen, 
you know, why, why is CoQ10 so important to a heart patient uh, and to everybody in general is because that's how the heart functions and all those mitochondria are going, you know, I mean, the heart is beating 34 million times a year and we need a lot of energy to make that heart beat. And we get that energy from a variety of ways. But one of those things that's very important is CoQ10. So the heart is loaded with CoQ10. So when you eat animal heart, you're getting the best source of CoQ10 and the most plentiful source of CoQ10, which again is inside of that animal heart. And the difference between getting vitamin D from the sun and taking vitamin D pills, if you could explain the difference. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a tremendous difference and vitamin D pills can raise levels, but it doesn't do much to change outcomes. We need to get the vitamin D from the sun. So for people that, again, that come to see me from all over the world in Seattle and Portland and Canada and Minnesota and my hometown of Chicago, upstate New York, you know, again, um, we tell people move. And they say, well, I can't move. I got my family, my friends. So I say, fine, take a lot of vacations. Well, I can't take a lot of vacations. Uh, then I would definitely say eat vitamin D rich foods, which are only found in animal products. And then also my recommendation over and above taking a vitamin D supplement would be to get some kind of a vitamin D lamp. Uh, that would be the best way to do it. So uh, a vitamin D lamp, what, what would that be like? Is that, a, is that red light? Uh, so it's not, I mean, it's not red light. I mean, so, I mean, red light has value to it as well. And red light is a separate conversation, but a vitamin D lamp is something that gives off UVA and UVB rays. So typically the bulbs are white. And again, it's giving you that UVA, UVB, and it's that UVB that helps to create vitamin D. So I think that the, 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 the lighting strategy is the best, but no matter who you are and where you are, the more time you spend outside, the longer you'll live. So even if you're somewhere right now and it's uh, you know 10 degrees or 10 below, however you can do it to get outside, and of course you'll dress warm, but even only if, and you know this of course, even if your eyeballs are the only things exposed to the natural light, it's gonna give you tremendous benefit. Let's talk about some of the labs and you offer some labs on your website, which I think is great. What do you think are the most important labs for people who are trying to see whether or not they're at risk for cardiovascular disease? Or well, you know, in general? We talk a lot about the, about the lipids and, and that ApoB, ApoA ratio, but I think the most important thing is really looking at markers of inflammation. If you are inflamed, you better figure out why. Uh, and, uh, and in getting rid of that inflammation, now you're going to lower your risk. Uh, people who are not inflamed do not suffer from heart attacks. So we want to know markers of inflammation, HSCRP, phospholipase A2, oxidized LDL, maybe myeloperoxidase. There, there's, there's a lot of different markers that can be checked for inflammation, and I think they're all beneficial. At least, at least at the very least, if you're looking for one, HSCRP. Look at your level of homocysteine, high level of homocysteine, increased cardiovascular risk. Uh, I can ask people about seafood, which I do, or I can check their omega-3 levels. And if their omega-3 levels are low, well, obviously they got to increase their seafood intake. So that's one good marker for that. We talked about uric acid before. That's a fantastic marker. Of course, uh, you know, looking at things like uh, but one of my favorites is actually intracellular vitamins and minerals, specifically in vitamin K2. K2 reverses coronary plaque. K2 keeps calcium in the bones and out of the arteries. How do we know where your K2 levels are? We got to check. 
And that's uh, the stuff. I love doing mold mycotoxin testing. I love doing environmental toxin testing to be able to show people, hey, you are getting intoxicated from environmental molds or food-based molds or environmental toxins. And now you got to do something about it. I had three cases of uh, a retinal vein occlusion in a young person and everything came out normal. So I wound up doing a functional medicine screening myself and what was elevated really elevated was lp little a so if you could talk about lp little a and the dangers of it and i don't know if there's much that could be done about it maybe a little bit um so i mean and and, and forgive me because yeah that's certainly one of the tests that I run on everybody that's inside of my advanced cardiovascular analysis. So LP little a is a nasty form of LDL. It is a genetically uh, a linked uh, characteristic, meaning that we're born with that elevated P little a. About 20% of the population has abnormally high levels and it's probably responsible 0% of heart attacks. And like you mentioned, retinal vein occlusion. I was not even aware of that association, but I'm not surprised given the fact that LP little a increases uh, you know, uh, venothromboembolic events. So that obviously makes sense. So when we talk about LP little a, it's just a simple blood test. And I think a lot of the lifestyle strategies that we do undoubtedly lower LP little a by themselves. For those people that still have elevated levels afterwards, then we can go with like a time-release niacin, which can be helpful there. There's a couple other strategies uh, to lower that number down, but uh, time-release niacin from a nutritional supplement standpoint has the best data. There's pharmaceuticals that are coming down the road that promise to markedly lower the number down. The question is, do they markedly lower the risk down in the people? Because again, it's not just about lowering numbers down, it's about lowering risk. and if they are proven to you know, dramatically lower the risk down, then I will reconsider that as a strategy uh, that I would employ as a pharmaceutical. But as of right now, pharmaceuticals are always the last approach. How about vitamin C and acetylcysteine? Do they have any benefit of lowering omega-3s of lowering LP little a? I mean, again, like, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things that are purported to do so. There's really not a lot of scientific literature to support the use of a lot of these other things. Again, I think all those things have tremendous value. Uh, so, you know, whether it's, you know, vitamin C is an antioxidant and acetylcysteine is a precursor to produce a lot of glutathione. All those are really good strategies, uh, you know, that could be beneficial. Omega-3s, of course, the best source of omega-3s is eating seafood. And that's why I often say, that when you follow the whole program that I outline in the book or that we talk about right now, or we talk about wherever we want to talk, uh, LP little a invariably goes down. And I think we're going to lower the, uh, the negative effects from that. And again, there's some other natural blood thinners. I like using natokinase in people with high levels of LP little a. There's another product I'm a very big fan of. It's called Arterosil. Um, uh, and, uh, and I think arteriosil would be a fantastic, I mean, it's, it's fantastic for everybody, but certainly people with LP little a, uh, the gut testing, the wheat zoomer tests that you do on your patients, how does that help? And, uh, I know this has been some research to show that, uh, if you have, uh, if you have gluten sensitivity could increase your risk of cardiovascular disease, uh, cancer, uh, and stroke. So, uh, explain about that. 
Um, well, you know, I mean, again, there's a lot of different factors, you know, that go on, uh, you know, again, when we're talking about, uh, you know, cardiovascular risk, and we really just have to continue to look at the whole picture on everybody. You know, we got to look at the food, we got to look at the lifestyle, we got to look at uh, the environmental toxins and pollutants. And we got to just reduce our chemical burden as much as possible. We're never going to be able to get down to zero. The earth is destroyed. The planet is so polluted. We got to just upgrade our systems as much as possible to be able to get the poisons out of us. And again, that's where nutritional strategies come in. That's where, you know, supplemental strategies come in. And, uh, things like sunshine, things like, as you mentioned, the red light, you know, lamp. There's all these kind of different biohacking tools we could use to help us out. So we're going to have to wrap in this in a few minutes. I, if I could just ask you these last couple of things, calcium score. We notice younger people now are are getting cardiovascular disease. At what age will you start calcium score? And are you a fan of that? No, I'm. Uh, I talk about this in the book. I talk about it anywhere possible. I hate radiation. I think radiation kills uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. And uh, uh, CT scans are radiation based. So I never, ever, ever order coronary calcium scans ever. I never have once in my life. And uh, EECP, which is kind of like a do-it-yourself bypass, is that something that you ever use? And are you a fan of that? Uh, there's no downside to doing it except for time and expense typically, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't really find most people need uh, uh, need uh, EECP. So I, no, I don't refer to it very often. Okay, let's, let's end with the diet and explaining what the paleo diet is and what are your favorite foods that you recommend to people and what to avoid. Well, paleo is it's um, uh, you know paleo is short for Paleolithic, which is old Stone Age. What did our ancestors eat as hunter gatherers? And we whenever we could hunter gather, and you can see that again in uh, anthropology literature, paleontology literature. You can also see it when you're watching uh, you know TV shows today, like Survivor or Alone or Naked and Afraid. They're hunter gatherers, and yes, they're hungry, and yes, they're having trouble living out in the element. But the food that they're getting is the stuff that we would go after. And of course, there were plenty of plants. There were a lot of insects that we used to eat, but the prized food for those hunter-gatherers was seafood and animal products. And uh, that's just quite simply how we live forever. We never had oatmeal, we never had wheat bread, we never had pasta, we never had rice. Uh, whatever you can hunter-gather, that would be the healthiest food. So to me, seafood, nuts, seeds, eggs, avocados, coconuts, uh, free-range grass-fed meats, uh, and then uh, uh, vegetables, you know, especially green leafy vegetables, that's really the key. Ideally, we would have fruit when fruit is in season. And as Dr. Lustig and many others, you know, pointed out the obvious, we are not meant to eat fruit 365 days a year. It's just not how we're built. It tastes good. It's just not how we're built. Well, uh, 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 one of the doctor colleagues asked me to ask you this question. He had COVID and a year later, he's still having, every once in a while, he'll have some chest pains or chest tightness. Do you think that's still related? Can it be related? What are some of the long-term side effects to the heart or the chest from COVID? Well, I think, you know, once again, obviously we don't have a lot of data. We don't have a long track record of, of what this really means. But I will say this is that any symptoms are possible uh, from, uh, from a viral illness and any long-term symptoms are possible. 
but there's always a natural holistic way to help improve those symptoms in those people. So whether it's again, uh, doing it through food, through a healthy lifestyle and sunshine and sleep and mental health and wellness or toxin avoidance, or even going to the chiropractor and getting a chiropractic adjustment, all that stuff is gonna make a big difference in the recovery. I wanna thank Dr. Wilson for joining me today. If someone wants to find out more about you, wants to become a patient of yours, uh, how could they do that? Well, you know, I think the best uh, stepping stone in order to meet me or, you know, is, is to learn a little bit more about what I do. And, you know, you have a copy of my book and I appreciate you promoting it. Grab a free copy of my book, freeheartbook.com, freeheartbook.com. All you're going to do is pay shipping and handling, and we're going to send you a copy of the book. Start with a book. If you like that, what you read there, then give us a call and, and we'll talk about different ways to be able to either work with myself or one of the members of my team. I want to thank Dr. Wolfson. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're a wealth of knowledge and you've given great information. Thank you so much. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.